Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. Yo, 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 what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tuesday Crew on this very, very hot evening, July 19th. Hi, I'm Dylan Allen, joined by John Hartnett and Jack Bisea. Guys, I mean, it was so, I mean, listen, we're, I'm in studio right now. I know you guys are elsewhere at the moment, but you it was beyond hot today. I think it was like 97, 98 degrees, and tomorrow it's supposed to be even hotter. That honestly is like the talk of the day for me, just how hot it's been and how hot this week's going to be. How are you guys doing joining me tonight on this Tuesday crew? Good DA and yeah, you said it. It's only gonna get hotter. I'm looking at the uh, looking at the the uh, what do you call it? The forecast moving right. forward to be 98 tomorrow, um, 97 Thursday, 97 Friday, and then the weekend. It's gonna be crazy. We're gonna hit triple digits on Sunday, 100 degrees according. Oh my goodness! Right now. So buckle up. I mean, it's that time of year. At least uh, at least we got some AC. I've been reading about. Um, the heat wave that's going on in Europe, and they're not really accustomed to that type of heat, and a lot of them don't have air conditioning. So um, it's Ooh. tough out here, but you know we'll get through it. We will get I, through uh, it, indeed. John, how you doing? I'm all right. It's uh, you know, I'm taking a summer class. I'm, I'm you know, swamp a lot of work. Um, I I have uh, I had the uh, appointment this morning. I had to you know go to, and it was it was very I, it was very warm. I will say it. Uh, yeah, it's been it was very hot. I'll help my part time now at the pool factory. So uh That's good. Hopefully it, I'll have more uh, more time in the pools rather than building the pools. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a little hot out to be building pools all day, don't you think? Oh, hundred percent. It was always it's always too hot or, uh, to build pools. <laughs> all right, well let's just segue into the into the hot event for tonight out in Los Angeles. The all star games tonight at eight o'clock. We can talk about that for a little bit, but let's start with the home run derby that happened last night. Right, Juan Soto wins the home run derby over Julio Rodriguez, the rookie from Seattle. And right from the jump, you knew it was going to be a lot of fun. Everyone was hitting home runs left and right. Julio Rodriguez had 32 in the first round, surprised a lot of fans, including me, on his performance in in his derby debut. But Juan Soto ultimately getting the win. John, I go to you first. You're the Mets fan here on this panel. And, you know... Pete Alonso, Mets first baseman, was going for the three-peat last night. He's won the past two home run derbies and was going for the three-peat last night. And it looked like, to be honest with you, watching that from my couch at my house, like the first round he seemed a little shaky. And then the second round, you know, when he got eliminated, it just didn't look like he was kind of in his swing of things, if you will. Oh, sure. Um, first of all, I have to give credit to Julio Rodriguez. I, you know, First of all, uh, congrats to Juan Soto. But I really think Julio Rodriguez deserved it. Um, his, I mean, putting up 31 home runs in the first round as the first guy is just, it's so impressive just to come out, no pun intended, just to come out swinging and just assert your, just set the tone and just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a you know, 20 year old kid. Uh, I'm going to just hit 30 home runs on my first derby. And uh, I, Alonso did look kind of, sh- he obviously beat Acuna Jr. in the first round, but he did look. He didn't really look like look like himself. I guess like he was just kind of unsure, or he, I guess he was nervous. Yeah, I, then, I um I don't know what it was, but it just to me, I know he only had to get to twenty in the first round to advance, but still, I mean, it was down to the wire. I think like in his minute bonus time, he still needed to get some to you know 
take over Acuna's 19 score. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was just mashing the ball, got to 20 with ease like we've seen in past years. It really seemed like it was a struggle from him early on. But to be fair, I mean, we shouldn't really critique that much because it is the Home Run Derby. It's supposed to be right. you know an event where players are on their, I guess, their breaks, right? And they're all trying to just have a fun time. So I'm not going to knock Pete Alonso at all. But, you know, there's definitely some Mets fans out there. I don't know about you, John, but definitely some Mets fans out there that I guess weren't too thrilled with the product they saw last night. And I, I, are you one of them, or is it just you? You kind of just watched it and was like, ah, you know what, whatever. You know, it's just it's the oh, home no, run Pete derby. Swinging the bat. No, no, I'm definitely not one of them. No, it's the home run derby. Look, you know, Pelon's given has a has a uh, a god given talent. Um, you know, I think it just it does it doesn't come across great with me when when some Mets fans are like, oh, what are you doing, Pete? It's like, come on, bro. Like, he just he got beat. I think Julio Rodriguez just. He was better last night. I don't know. That's, I think Julio deserved to win it all, but it just happens. You know, you can't win every derby. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you can't win. Listen, he won two in a row. I personally thought he was going to go for three, but they can't win yeah, them I all. So you can't win them all. But in the first round, Julio Rodriguez was the sixth seed, and he went up against Corey Seager, which was his first time back in Dodger Stadium since being – uh, since signing with the Rangers in the offseason. And Julio Rodriguez had 32 home runs, beating Corey Seager by uh, eight home runs. Corey had 24, which is still a pretty good round for Corey Seager. I mean, he's not that big of a power guy. And we talked about Alonzo advancing 20-19 to 19 over Ronald Acuna Jr. And, and Juan Soto only had to hit 18 in the first round against Jose Ramirez. Now, the other big shocker of the night that we haven't talked about yet was the Albert Pujols uh, upset against Kyle Schwarber. Albert Pujols was the eighth seed coming into this, barely had any home runs on the year. I think he had maybe five or six compared to Schwarber, who led the NL in home runs thus far. And Pujols brought him to a tie break and beat him 20-19 to 19 in the end. I know a lot of people had Schwarber high on their list to win it this year. To me, Albert Pujols winning the first round was very surprising. I, I know people that said they might have juiced the balls a little bit for not just the mm. event in general, but maybe just for Pujols as well since he is you know, the, the crowd favorite. He, he is the, the veteran. It's his last derby ever. And you know, people had the mindset that the MLB might juice the balls for him. I didn't see it, and I think they honestly, John and Jack, I think they juiced the balls for the event as a whole. I don't know about you guys, but Julio Rodriguez hitting 32 home runs in the first round and then 31 in the next round, it kind of just surprised me considering it was his first derby. I don't know. It just it seemed like there was a lot of home runs from maybe people you wouldn't have expected. So I, I think the, the, juice, the balls might have been a little juiced. I'm not 100% sure. Obviously, we... We don't know the answer to that, but again, Pujols with the upset in the first yeah. round over Schwarber, which was pretty amazing. What what was up, track? Sorry, uh, I just wanted to interject real quick. I hear I hear the term "juicing balls" a lot. What does that actually mean? Like, are they like I hear the term a lot? Like, what do they do to the balls when they juice them? You know what you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, I mean, I don't really know. Um, exactly what they do but it's a theory it's not confirmed or anything obviously the MLB wouldn't come out and say that they're juicing the balls but pretty much in short it's think of it as a way for the league 
to make the balls, uh, you know, when they're hit on contact, to make them go farther, have more jump off the bat. So when you see, you know, in the home run derby, everyone's hitting them 475 feet, you know, you start to think to yourself, well, maybe these balls are a little juiced, that the MLB wants to increase viewership of their event, you know, whatever the case is. I've seen rumors uh, this year, too, on Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, which is the nationally televised game every week, that they juice the balls on those games because it's the only baseball game on. It's on ESPN. Think of it as like Sunday Night Football, right? So they want the whole nation to watch that game and to be entertained so people believe that they they juice these balls, make make the balls easier to be hit farther. You know what I mean? More home runs. So... It's, yeah, I, I, under, I understand what, what you're saying there. Like, I understand the logic behind it. I'm just curious of what they actually like physically do to the ball. You know, I think it's the it's how they it's, it's how they're wound. Like, they'll tighten the laces a little bit. They uh, okay, they'll use a different kind of leather or they'll they'll wrap it tighter. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. They like, they gotta I fix was, it though. I, was, I hate uh, it. Homer Herbert Derby was really interesting last night, especially um at the beginning. I mean, you guys were talking about Julio Rodriguez. I mean, that man was on fire in the first part of that. Like 32 home runs. Like, uh, you guys were talking about juicing balls and all that. I also think Dodger Stadium, it's a very unique stadium. I think both of you know that. Um, the fences are very, very small or like very uh short, especially into left field where Julio was hitting a lot of those home runs. So I think he benefited from that. There's a lot of there's a lot of like line drive home runs that he hit that he kind of, that he pulled a lot to the foul pole line that sneaked over and then he hit some moon shots of course. I mean, it was very impressive. But I think if I had to explain how he was able to get 32 like that, that would be, you know, one of the one of the reasons I'd give him, but it was it was entertaining for sure. Um you know, one thing I found interesting and maybe you guys can, you know, talk about this further is that um, the announcers were saying at the beginning when Julio Rodriguez was just launching launching balls out of the park, they said that, um, you know, he's hitting all these right now, but once it gets darker, the ball's going to pull less. And they were talking about how, you know, they could tell, like announcers could tell very early on if the ball's going to pull on a certain day. So, you know, I guess we can use this as a talking point. I was really kind of questioning how they know that and how a ball pulls less, like how a ball, like, you know, goes less far as you get into the night. I don't know if that's something to do with the wind or something, but you know, I, I kind of found that was kind of weird to me. Yeah, Jack. I've heard of. Uh, sorry, oh, I'll let you go, John. That's fine. I I've definitely heard of. You know, uh, once you go from like May into June, July, August, the balls, uh, you know, fly out of the park more, and that's you, you see a soar in extra base hits and home runs, especially. Uh, I noticed that too last night. Uh, that they mentioned like I heard, oh, that, I heard once, about that too, John. Yeah, like once the shadows start, or you know, the ball, I. I heard them mention it, but I don't really know why either. I guess uh, I did notice the shadows when a few guys were up. Like the, the batter's box would be like uncovered by the uh, the left side, like you know, the left side of the stadium. You know, there's a shadow, and the the pitcher was they're they were in the sun. So I was like, oh, that 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 might affect the hitter as well, because if you're in the shadow and the pitcher's not, it really messes up the way you uh, pick up the ball. But I don't know. Um, I did mention I heard I heard that too last night. But I also have. I'm not sure how that would affect it, but regarding with the, uh, I have no clue. You know, once the once the sun goes down, I have no clue. I heard the same thing last night too, and as soon as I heard it, I scratched my head a little bit. And I was like, I was like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? So I'm yeah, in the same is, boat as you. Have Jack. To, what does like the darkness have to do with? Anything? Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, 
See, the thing is, I know this much, like, kind of what John was getting at. When the summer months kind of roll in, it's easier to hit the ball. The climate kind of helps out with that. Like, once, when it's really cold out, the balls tend to harden up, right? And so it gets harder to hit the ball farther. That makes sense. But in terms of light and darkness, I don't really know what that does to affect the baseball and the bat. I don't know if they maybe were talking about the shadows, which is what John kind of talks about, how it's harder to see it. But I did remember hearing someone on that broadcast booth last night say that because of the darkness, it helps the balls travel farther. I believe that's what he said. But regardless, I too am confused by that statement. Just to give you a little backstory, Jack, on the juiced ball stuff. So I I, I looked it up real quick while we were were talking about the, the, uh, the lightness and darkness thing. In 2017, the MLB uh, broke the record for most home runs in a season with over 6,100 home runs. And the record before that was 5,693, which was set in 2000, which was at the height of the steroid era. So if you think about it, during the part, during the, the era in which the league, pretty much all of the power hitters, all the big names were juicing, were hitting home runs... In the year 2017, the league surpassed that total by more than almost close to 500 home runs. And it just gets people wondering, you know, like, are we juicing? Is the league trying to get more viewership? Is the Do they think that the, the game kind of popularity is going down so they got to juice the balls instead of having the players juice? I, I think they're trying to find other ways to get the, the sport more popular without it being directly affected by the players you know, instead of them juicing um, themselves, it's just the balls. And the other thing, too, that at least sticks out to me since I'm a Yankee fan, you know, you take a look at a guy like Labor Torres, and this is in 2017, but this is in 2019, right? The guy, it's his second year in the league, and he hits 38 home, 38 home runs for 90 runs batted in, right? Phenomenal season. But then the next year, he only hits, well, actually, I can't say that that year because it was 2020. In 2021, he hits nine home runs in 127 games played, 51 RBIs, bats 259. Like, and in 2019, this whole juiced ball thing was was prevalent was relevant too. So you know, it makes me think that that in 2019 the balls were juiced because Glaber Torres hit 38 home runs, almost 40. And right now we're at the midpoint of the season. He has 14 this year, so he's on pace to get 28. So. You know, it's just, it kind of makes you wonder how a guy like Glaber Torres can hit 38 home runs one year and then kind of sit around 9, 10, 13 home runs. You know, it just doesn't really add up for me, at least. So, listen, I, I think the balls are juiced during that home run derby last night. They probably will be juiced tonight for the the All-Star game as well. You best believe, since it's a game that no one really cares about who wins, they're going to juice the balls, try and make it more exciting. So, I, I that's probably where I'm at with this right now. I don't know about you guys. I just want to circle back to uh, back. Uh, first of all, you know, base MLB definitely has a problem with the baseball. Uh, we know they've juiced it, or you know, we at least uh, at least we strongly suspect uh, sus- uh, suspect they they juiced the ball. What I don't know how they can get away with is when they in 2019 it was pretty obvious they juiced the baseball, but when the postseason started, they they unjuiced it. So right. now you have these no doubt fly balls going dying at the warning track. Like you know, like how 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 is that even legal? Like how is no one stepping in? Like I was I was shocked the uh, the players association didn't say anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if you're gonna juice the balls, 
in my opinion. You should keep them juiced throughout the year. And if you're not going to juice them, right. don't juice them, you know, just for special occasions. You got to pick one side or the other. And at least that way, if there are juiced balls, yeah, is it unfair for the pitcher, but it's fair for both teams offensively speaking, right? So, I mean, I that was weird too, John. I, I, did, I do remember that. If, you, if you're going to do that, you got to just keep it one way or the other. You can't mix and match. Because at that point, it's just it's not fair to the hitter, and it's it's just not fair to the integrity of the sport. You don't want to keep messing around, you know, with different rules, regulations, and stuff, and then just kind of go back to normal during the postseason just because it's the postseason. You want to try and make it look like it was earned the right way. So I, I think they just need to keep it one way or the other. Um, and honestly, I really don't care as a baseball fan if the balls are juiced. As long as they're juiced for both sides, you know, if the Red Sox-Yankees play, as long as both teams are pitching juice balls, I don't really care if it makes my team, you know, score one extra run or whatever, or them. You know, it's just, it's whatever. If they're trying to get more viewers for that, that's fine. And if it works, great, because baseball's awesome. But it's just, I don't really care one way or the other. You just can't mix and match like that. No, I agree. You have to just be consistent. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so let's just dive into the, we talked about the derby for a little bit. We talked about the juice balls. At least that I think happened last night and probably a little bit tonight during this uh, the All-Star game. Let's talk about the lineups, the starting pitchers for this All-Star game. Now, John, I found this interesting when I read this for the first time. That th- this is Clayton Kershaw's first time starting in an All-Star game in his career. Yeah, I was, I was surprised by that too. I think, let me think. Because I know Matt Harvey started in 2013, obviously, when the Mets hosted it. And he was right behind him. Like he, you know, you know, Harvey went the first two innings, and then Kershaw picked it up in the third. I could have swore he started an All Star game before. Um, I guess, I guess got confused because you know when you go like, I guess he was right after the starting pitcher. Like guess again in 2015 when Granky started started the All Star game, uh, uh, Kershaw was right behind him in the third again. So, I guess you know it's it, it, the Dodgers put him on a one year contract. Uh, the All-Star game is in Los Angeles this year because I guess it's a makeup year from when it was supposed to be 2020 with the COVID. Um, yeah, I was surprised to hear about it too, but he's having a good year. But Sandy Alcantara is having a better year, and he, I think, is absolutely snubbed. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, I, I mean, you're probably right. Now, here's the thing, too. It's the the manager of the All-Star game is the reigning defending world champion. So right now it's the you know, it's the Atlanta Braves manager who is in charge of you know, setting the lineup, putting who's going to start. So it's Brian Snitker, the manager of the Braves. But it point being, it's not like it's Dave Roberts from the Dodgers making this lineup like I always like it always seems like it is every year. No. It's the Braves coach. And it makes you wonder, well, just because it's LA, I don't know if maybe you know, he thinks it it should be that way just because it's hosted by LA. Because Sandy Alcantara is having a much better, not much better, but he's having a very good year. I feel like every time he pitches, he goes eight innings and gives up like one run or two runs, and the, the Marlins lose two to one. You know, right now, I mean, he's sitting at 19 games played with two complete games, 123 strikeouts. He's nine and four with a 1.76 ERA. I mean, that's phenomenal for for him the Marlins just don't win baseball games all that often hmm. that's why his record somehow nine and four it reminds me of like DeGrom 
in these past years where oh, the, no. the Mets would just not give him <laughs> run support. Oh man. But yeah, he I mean, he's probably I mean, I, I mean as of right now, Alcantara is is a lock for the Cy Young. I, you know, right now obviously, you know, we've seen uh things change in the second half of the season. Don't remind me about last year. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think it's weird. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Who, how they're, um, I always assumed the best starting pitcher, you know, starts the all-star game, which the way that's the way it usually is. Um, do you know how it works? Do you, are you chosen? Are you appointed? Uh, for the for, pitcher? I'm not sure for the pitcher, for the starting I, pitcher. I, I, again, I think it's the up to the manager of the team who wants to start out to who wants, who he wants to start. So oh, that's right. I think it's, I think it's the, Brian uh, Snitker for the the Braves. He's the one who makes that decision this year. But I, I it, it is a little. I mean, it makes sense because it's in Los Angeles. I don't really mind. You'll see Sandy pitch out there regardless. He'll probably go in the second inning. Um, yeah. but listen, it's he's gonna play Sandy, and you're gonna see him play. Now I'm looking at the lineups, and it was a little interesting to see only one Met in the NL lineup, and he's replacing Jazz Chisholm over at second, Jeff McNeil. You know, for some reason, I thought that there would be more Mets in this lineup, and it's just only one, and it happens to be a replacement for Jazz Chisholm. Um, any thoughts about that, John? I know you're a big Mets guy, and I, they're having a good year. I thought they'd have more than just one guy in that lineup. I I, I, uh, I feel very, I'm, you know, I'm very, I'm thrilled for Jeff McNeil. I'm so glad they didn't trade him. I, You know, in a sport, that's changed so much like baseball has where, you know, there's an emphasis on future outcome, you know, strikeout, walk home run. It's so refreshing to see a guy like Jeff who just comes up and you see him with the bat and he just, all he does is flick the ball in the outfield. He doesn't try to do anything crazy. All he does is just try to flick the ball to get soft contact to get hits. And it's, I think it's a lost art today. Uh, I feel I'm, I'm thrilled that he's starting. Um, I, it, that did surprise me a little bit, but I guess there's, you know, with Pete, Who's who's an all star? I guess it's Pete McNeil and Marte. Um, I guess yeah, Pete's Paul not Goldschmidt's started. having a uh, Paul Goldschmidt's having a you know an MVP caliber first half. Right. Uh, he's I think he he would start over uh, Alonzo. Alonzo's probably gonna go in like you know the sixth or seventh inning. But for me, it's the whole it's just a general thing with the all star game. I think it's uh, it's just not the way it used to be. I just don't really. I'm probably not even gonna watch the all star game tonight just because. Guys, it's become the all reserves game now because all the all stars who were in it either opt out of it, or they just they pull them too early. Like the you know the pitchers, it's different. But like with the, with the position players, they they play maybe half an inning, and sometimes they don't even hit; they just field. I don't know. It's just it's definitely changed a lot over the years. I agree a hundred percent. Like Mike Trout's not playing. Jose Altuve is not playing for the AL. And then Bryce Harper, well, he's hurt. He's not playing, and Jazz Chisholm sitting out. I don't know if he's hurt or not, but you know that's two two players per side that are not playing in today's game. And although it is an All Star game, you could view it as just saying, well, you know, it's it shouldn't be taken that seriously. Well, Hello? I was just saying, like it, it's like people vote for these players to play, and they don't play. Like I just feel like some people are more deserving of the nod. I think they should give it to somebody who actually would want to play. Um, like Andre Jimenez from the Guardians, he's replacing Jose Altuve, and this is the first time I've ever heard of this guy, which isn't good news for him because a guy like Glaber Torres should be in over him, I would think. 
Uh, I don't. I mean, looking at his numbers, they're actually not that bad this year. Two ninety six, two homer, ten homers, forty three ribbies, eight thirty five OPS. That's pretty. Those are pretty good numbers. But you know, like that's not who fans want in the game. They don't want that guy replacing Jose right. Altuve. You kind of you, you see what I meant. You see what I'm saying. But anyway, so. The other pitcher... Yeah, they want the best. They want the best of the best. So, the other pitcher I want to talk about, we talked about Kershaw getting his first, I think, career start at the All-Star game, which is still bonkers to me. Now let's talk about Shane McClanahan for the AL side of things, pitching for the American League from Tampa Bay. We talked about Sandy Alcantara having a phenomenal year. We have, I mean, Shane McClanahan is having arguably a better, the best pitching season this year. He's 10-3 with a 1-7-1 ERA. Wow. And he's got 147 strikeouts. So he has, let me compare him to Sandy real quick for you. So he has, um, Shane McClanahan has one less outing than Sandy does, and he has 14 more strikeouts than Sandy in one less go, which I find crazy. And um, insane. it's insane. And a 171 ERA, and somehow manages to have three losses on the year, which just kind of gives you the Rays season in a nutshell. But, I mean, Shane McClanahan having a Cy Young type of year for the Rays, will it be enough for them in the endgame? I don't know. Probably not. But still, having a very, very good season. Um, Now, let's talk about the lineups real quick before we go to our first break of the show. Leading off for the AL, designated hitter Shohei Otani. Now, in my opinion, this should have been Jordan Alvarez. Agreed. Right? So... The thing is, Jordan's hurt, so he wouldn't have played anyway. But in the voting process, this should have been Jordan Alvarez. He was better in every single category. It was just an obvious pick for me, but since everyone loves Shohei and it's a fan vote, that's how he got in. Batting second and playing right, Aaron Judge, my boy, MVP this year thus far. No surprises there. He was like the unanimous vote. I think halfway through the voting session, he was like a lock-in, so no debates there. Then... um. Garrett Cole's proper owner batting third, Rafi Devers, uh, for the Red Sox. <laughs> which don't even get me started on good. him. I hate him now because of what he's done to my team. I swear every <laughs> every time I sit down and watch Yankees Red Sox, he hits a home run in the first inning, and it's just like, when are we ever gonna learn to walk this guy? Like, is it just that hard to say to yourself, we're not gonna pitch to him, let's put him on first, and let's pitch to everyone else? I, eventually they're going to have to <laughs> eventually they're just going to have to do it because at this point I swear he hits a home run every single time we play them you even got to walk him just you know hit his foot or <laughs> throw throw behind him hit him in the butt do something <laughs> oh man well and listen I, I don't want my pitchers getting thrown out now you know oh that's, that's a whole other debate you're right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah just just walk the guy just put up the four Boone and just walk him Intentional walk. Oh yeah, that's true. I forgot the uh, they changed that rule with the with the intentional walk. I was gonna say hit him to save the four pitches, but they don't, they don't even throw the pitches anymore. No, they just they just they just excuse it. They gotta save time because they think that'll mm-hmm. get you more viewers. You know, if you save the yeah, extra, it saves four that, seconds. Yeah, like people like Jack will definitely tune into baseball because of that rule implemented. Um, you know, just a, <laughs> saving thirty seconds of precious time. Just, that's a good point. Yeah. And batting fourth, Vlad Guerrero Jr. from the Blue Jays playing first. A little questionable to me, too. I felt like Ty France should have been in here. He oh, had, 100%. He had better numbers to me than Vlad. And at the end of the day, John, it's just that he has a he has a whole country behind him. Let's fa- let's just face it. He's got a whole country behind yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's that's the main reason why he's in, and he's just a big name. He's kind of like Shohei in the, you know, the just a big name guy. Batting fifth, a surprising vote for me as a Yankee fan. John Carlos Stanton gets in. I am beyond thrilled. He had a very, very good season so far. I kind of like, he kind of struggled towards the tail end heading into the All-Star break. Right now he's batting 237 with 24 homers and 61 RBIs. So he's having a pretty good season for the Yankees right now. And they got him playing left field. So we'll see how he does out there. Batting sixth, replacing Mike Trout, Byron Buxton of the Twins. I don't really have much to say about them, to be honest. It should have been Mike Trout, as you know, but Byron Buxton's not bad either. Tim Anderson batting seventh at short. Now, I'm happy about this because Bo Bichette was leading the vote for a while. He did not deserve to get in. So I'm just glad he did not get in. Batting eighth, Andres Jimenez replacing Jose Altuve. We already talked about him for a little bit. And then batting ninth, the catcher Alejandro Kirk, who's having a sneaky good season. Like, John, I don't know if you pay attention to Blue Jays baseball. I don't either, but he's batting three fifteen with 11 home runs, 37 RBIs, and he's got an eight eighty two OPS. So he's he's having a fairly good season. It's kind of been under the radar for the Blue Jays. So he's going to round out the lineup. And again, McClanahan starting for the AL. Now we move to the NL very quickly, batting first, Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves. I uh, don't have much to say. He's very, very good player when healthy. Out in center field, Mookie Betts, the hometown guy from the Dodgers, batting second. Uh, again, don't have much to say about him. Batting third, Manny Machado having a very good start to his 2022 campaign. And then again, Paul Goldschmidt batting fourth, representing the Cardinals. You talked about it, John, how he's having an MVP caliber season thus far. Just outstanding performance, and that's probably the only reason why Pete Alonso's not a starter, just because Paul Goldschmidt's having... A crazy start to this year. Mm-hmm. Batting fifth, Trey Turner, another Dodger. Batting sixth. Now here's here's what's cool. Batting sixth, Wilson Contreras of the Cubs. Batting seventh, William Contreras of the Braves, replacing Bryce Harper. So Contreras brothers batting back to back in this All Star lineup. That's pretty cool. I I didn't realize William Contreras was in this All Star game until just now. So that's 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 pretty cool. And then everyone loves Jock Peterson. He's got the pearls. He's batting eighth, playing left field. Now he's on the Giants. But yet in another All-Star game back in L.A. And then rounding out the lineup, it is Jeff McNeil of the Mets replacing Jazz Chisholm and Clayton Kershaw pitching for the Dodgers. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Locks of the Week on WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back to the Tuesday crew. Dylan Allen joined by Jack Basaya and John Hartnett. Just got done talking some MLB news with the All-Star game tonight, the Home Run Derby last night. So we got some exciting stuff there in the baseball world. Let's now, as we welcome Jack and John back to the program, let's welcome now a new segment here. We're going to talk locks of the week, everybody. Now, since I'm in studio... I'm going to go first, give my fellow co-hosts some time to find a lock potentially. For me, I'm going with the All-Star game. Now, am I betting on a game that maybe half the players don't really care about the outcome for? Yeah, that's that's where I'm taking my focus. Reason being, 
The American League has won eight straight All-Star games. And they have dominated the All-Star game since eight 20 straight? since 2000. Eight straight they've won. Yep. So I'm going to take the American That's League. I'm going to take the American League. It is kind of embarrassing, Jack. But I'm going to take the American League minus 102 just to win the game because I think it's going to go to nine in a row. Shane McClanahan, the best pitcher in baseball. He's going to give a solid start for the American League team. And honestly, I just think that the American League team is just better straight up than the National League team. I mean, I'm looking at the National League and I look at the American League, and there's just so many big names on that American League roster that I think are just better than the, the National League. So I'm going to go with them. American League, minus 102. They're going to go for nine straight, and that's my lock of the week. John, Jack, it's a toss-up. Whoever wants to go next. Jack, do you have one? I mean, unfortunately, it's July 19th, so I'm trying to find – um, a game that or game or event that I confidently bet on. So, um, got to give myself a little bit of time here. Um, I can go for. I can go while you pick one. Go for it, man. Uh, I'm actually gonna pick the All Star game as well, DA. But I'm gonna go with the National League. I think okay. they're gonna break the slump. I think they're gonna do it. I um, you know, you mentioned the, you know, Shane uh, um, McClanahan from the Rays. He's having he's having a great season. But if you look at the National League pitchers, I mean, we don't know the order they're going to go in up. Obviously, uh, Kershaw's starting, but you got to think it's going to be Kershaw, Alcantara, um, Gonzalez is going to be is going to go Burns. Oh, I think Burns. See, I don't even know who opted out now because so many. Anyway, uh, I think my lock is on the as on the uh, the National League. I think they're going to break the. Uh, they're slumping. I know. I know they're zero and eight in the last eight years, uh, but they have a pretty good lineup. They got you know. Uh, the Contreras brothers, you got Paul Goldschmidt. I think if you get a few guys, you know, get in, strike the ball well, um, get some of the Mets, you know, later in the game when Alonzo comes in, uh, Marte comes in, and, you know, if McNeil's still in, they're really good at just, you know, squaring up the ball, not doing too much with it, just getting – if they if the National League can bunch hits together and get a few runs in, I think their pitching can hold the AL to a, a low score. So that's my. I guess my lock would be a, a low-scoring National League W. Okay, so you don't. So okay, so but do you believe that the balls are juiced, or do you just think it's just going to be pitching dominates offense tonight? Oh, that's a good point. See, I forgot the balls are juiced. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like these got the, the balls have oh, to be man. juiced, man. They have to be. It's, oh, dude, there's no question about it. So that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're mm. of the same mindset of as me, thinking that these balls are going to be juiced right from the jump. You got to think that there's going to be, you know, I, I'm calling it right now. There's probably going to be like an Aaron Judge first inning home run. That's I'm just calling it right now. It just seems like something oh, you do. Yeah. That's a good point. But, I mean, good pitching. See, I, I always say good pitching beats great hitting. So, then you scale it up. Does great pitching beat great hitting? With, it's, uh, with I, I do think pitch. I'm sorry? I was saying, like, do you think. Great, I, I agree with you. Great pitching beats great hitting. But in this instant where you have a good feeling that there's going to be juiced balls in play, is that still the same mindset? Or do you think it might favor the offense a little more to the point where you're like not too sure if great pitching will beat great offense tonight? That's a good point. I'm not really sure. But I, that cha- you're right. It does change things. This is why baseball just administ- I don't know. That's a different conversation. Um. Yeah, I think 
I still think I can. I still have faith in the uh, the National League pitchers. I think they can. They can. Uh, you know, hold if the National League pitching staff can put together a quality start. I do think the the NL could win, even with the juice balls. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a toss up for me, to be honest. Even though the AL is on an eight game win streak, they're they're both all star lineups <laughs> for a reason, right? They're both both yeah. have very good players. They, there is good pitching for the the National League. I will give you that, but I don't know. Just the American League, I got a feeling that they're just going to keep going. They 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 have and a really with good judge lineup. endeavors and everyone. Like you know, some of these great. Uh, I don't know. It, it, you're right. It is, it is awesome. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. Sorry. I mean, your top six are Shohei, Aaron Judge, Rafi Devers, Vlad Guerrero, Giancarlo Stanton, and Byron Buxton. And then not to mention, you know, Tim Anderson bats like three twenty every year, so he's batting seventh. And Alejandro Kirk's batting over three hundred this year. Like I just don't see it's it's an all star game, so obviously there's no holes in this lineup. But I just don't see a hole in this lineup. They have speed, power, contact. They ha- literally have everything you can ask for. And then they have McClanahan on the mound, just to kind of put the the cherry on top for me. I, I that's that's kind of like what I look at. Uh, Jack, I know it's a little difficult for you, since it's kind of the dead season for most of your sports. I know it's baseball season right now, but did you find something for locks of the week? Oh, oh yeah, I did. You get get ready. Get I'm ready. ready for I'm this ready. Game. WNBA. <laughs> There's two games tonight. Okay. Jeez. Two games tonight, and this one in particular has my eye: it's the Atlanta Dream versus the Las Vegas Aces. Now, I'm gonna um, you know, I'm a I'm a big basketball fan, so um, I could see records, and uh, I could I could see where bets should be made. So. Looking at the WNBA standings, and the Atlanta Dream are currently the fourth worst team or fourth best team in the Eastern Conference. They're 11 and 14. The Las Vegas Aces are currently the second best team in the WNBA. They're 18 and 7. The line is minus 12 and a half Las Vegas. I'm betting the Atlanta Dream cover that, and they make it less than a 12 and 12 and a half point loss for themselves i think that's a little harsh now um what do you guys think on that (laughs) oh man i'm gonna give it to you straight man i have no clue (laughs) no clue i have no clue uh you know it's just i listen this is why i bet my money on the all-star game i could give you some reasoning as to why i think American League's going to win. I think that like 12 and a half is like a little harsh. I mean, like I'm looking at the records like 11 and 14 versus 18 and 7 and I think they're going to win by more than 12 and a half points like. Oh, so you have Okay, so you have the team that's 11 and 14 covering 12 points. Yes. Okay. Do we know anyone on the 18 Okay, so which team's 18 and 7? I'm going to look up a Vegas. roster. What what Las is it? Las Vegas. Las Vegas Aces. Okay. Uh let me look up a roster real quick, because then I can give you an answer and see who's <laughs> averaging what. I think while you're looking up the uh, while you're looking up the numbers, uh, DA Jack, do you know what you just did? Some like the so you pull up a WNBA lock. That's the equivalent of me pulling a KHL lock. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna like ask now the group me has anyone done a WNBA lock? I think it just made history. <laughs> I think I just made history. You definitely did. I've I've never heard one in the in my short tenure here, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure you have. All right, so I'm looking 
at some of the the numbers here. I'm crunching the numbers, as they say. So the Las Vegas Aces are led by Kelsey Plum. She's a point guard out of Washington. And she averages 20 points a game, three rebounds, and five and a half assists. So she's having a pretty solid season. And she shoots 44% from the floor, around 42% from three, 84% from the line. So she can shoot from pretty much anywhere. And 18-7, and seven, let's take a look at some of their games. Um, let's take a look at some of the scores they, in which they have won. So in their past three games, they are 3-0. They beat New York twice, one by six and one by 31, or no, 34. And they beat Connecticut by eight points. So, I'm going to side with you, Jack. I think 12 and a half is coverable if I'm see, at, if I I'm think Atlanta. it is too. Like, I agree I, with you. I don't know. Like, I, I just see this working out. I'm at, listen, I'm, I might have to watch this game now. Like, it's on NBA I, TV. Look. 10 o'clock. I got NBA TV. It's on a ten. Let's see if they've played each other this year, because that's oh, okay. So, so okay. So here's the issue, Jack. You see, you, you always got to look when these teams played each other. And I'm looking at the last time these two played. They've only played each other once, so it's a small and sample a size. For one game. It's only one game. But on May 13th, they did win 96 to 73. Yeah, everyone they, has bad games. Las Vegas. I mean, I had a Ben's game last night. I played terrible. I mean, everyone has bad games. So like like I think I think this I think this I think this is coverable. And I'm gonna laugh when it is covered when it is covered later tonight. All right, listen, I'm with you. I think Atlanta covers, to be honest. I, I do. So I'll side with I you just on this. Made one. WRSU crew history. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard a WNBA lock, to be honest. That's the first lock time. Lock it. Book it. <laughs> Atlanta Dream covers 10 o'clock tonight versus the Las Vegas Aces. <laughs> All right, so we got for our three locks, we got for me, the American League taking the NL uh, in the All-Star game tonight. John has the National League beating the AL tonight. And Jack has the Atlanta Dream covering 12 and a half against yes, the Las sir. Vegas Aces. That game's on NBA TV at 10 p.m. Eastern. If anyone out there has any interest in following Jack's lock of the week, see see a result, it's live on NBA TV at 10 o'clock Eastern. We'll be right back with our second segment of the night. You're listening to The Crew on WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back to the WRSU Crew on this Tuesday evening. I'm Dylan Allen alongside Jack Pasea, John Hartnett. We just wrapped up locks of the week in which we gave our betting advice for tonight. And now we're going to segue to Ron Harper Jr., former Scarlet Knight, and the Toronto Raptors Summer League 2022. Jack, I know you've been writing an article about the Targum. If you want, I'll let you plug that for a little bit, kind of give us some info, and then we'll dive into Ron Harper's Summer League thus far. Yeah, real quick, just um, the first thing I'll say is it was just a legendary bet that I just made on uh, Locks of the Week, so just make sure you follow my advice there. But... um. What do you call it? 100%. Um, have you guys watched it all? Have you guys watched Ron Harper Jr. in the Summer League? Just so I have a baseline on what... I have not. Planning? I have seen... I think, Jack, the, when you texted me that one day, I watched, I think, the first quarter, and I tried to watch a little bit of his first game. Other than that, I did not really watch much. I saw you and Aaron Brightman tweeting out like his stat line, so that's kind of like how I kept up with it. Right. Okay, so I watched his first 
I how I watched his first game for sure. I watched the entire first game. I watched the entire last game. They played five games. So I watched the first and second game and I didn't watch the one I I wasn't able to watch uh very closely the two in between. But from what I saw in those games, Ron Harper Jr. looked like a guy who was trying to find his role, especially in the first game. Um, I think it was pretty evident by the way he played. Um, you know, there's so much to dissect, you know, when you're watching the game, you know, in real time. But um, you know, I thought I thought he played well. I think he could have shot better. Um, I'll just read you the stats off rip. He averaged 9.2 points and grabbed five rebounds per game. But his shooting splits, let's just say, could be improved, like improved upon. Shot 39.5% from the field, 21.7% from three. He was doing a lot of one for five from three and two for six from three, um, you know, one for three from three. So obviously those shooting percentages can be improved upon. Um, and then, you know, as a plus, he shot 91.7% from the line and he shot his fair share of free throws. So happy about that for him. But, um, you know, I think Ron will definitely improve. I think we all know that he's a guy who will work hard, he'll find his groove in the system. And, you know, I think his role, there's definitely a role for him on the Raptors. I think um, the big thing I, th- I think about with Ron is, you know, finding a role in the NBA and a quote that Alex Caruso said, which is basically like all these like guys who are on the fringe of making it to the NBA don't recognize the kind of role they're playing for once they get to the big time, which is, you know, playing a role player role as opposed to being like the star player. And obviously we saw how Alex Caruso pan that out to a success, successful NBA career and obviously a championship. So I think about the same thing with Ron Harper Jr. Being able to find a role as like a three and D catch and shoot guy in the offense. And I think if he's able to make it to the big time with the Raptors, I think he'll be very successful in that role. Um, last thing I'll add before I send it off to you guys is it was, it was tough watching the game a lot of the time um, in the summer league. And I think this is understandable. There's a lot of guys who are out there to kind of try and press the coaches and, you know, I wouldn't say if he had out for themselves, but kind of just like, you know, taking a lot of the shots. And it was really tough to watch because there's a lot of guys on the Raptors who were just not finding Ron Harper Jr. either open in the corner, open on the wing, or, you know, cutting to the rim, whatever it may be. There's a lot of guys taking a lot of shots, basically. Um, you know, it was frustrating to watch. I remember watching, I think, the game they lost. They went 4-1 and one in the summer league. The game they lost, there was a particular amount of them that – Ron just wasn't able to get shots. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think Ron definitely played played decently well. I'm not going to go out there and say he played amazing. He could have played a bit better. But, you know, it's all about getting a rhythm. It's all about, you know, getting into a comfort zone. And I think ultimately Ron will be okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I did notice that as well that a lot of the times he was kind of getting passed up on. Like there were so many times where I saw – Let's. Say, I'm just gonna throw a name out there. Delano Benton. Is it Benton? Is that how you pronounce it, Jack? Well, yeah. Benton. He was. He was. He was the number one guy who was taking all the shots. I mean. Oh well, yeah, that's what was, I mean. He was. He, he was, was. He was jocking the whole a term time. Of basketball called. Sorry, D, sorry, D. There's a term in basketball called tunnel vision, where you kind of just like put your head down, go to the rim, and take all the shots instead of like looking out for shooters or someone to pass to. And Delano Ban was doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 100. percent That's what I was saying. Every that, the game that I watched. I think it might have been the game that you texted me saying, are you going to watch it? And then I flipped it on. That was the game where I, I, as you say, tunnel vision, where they just, 
it was one guy bringing it up, and Harper would kind of get himself set in the corner for a three, would be open on the drive, and he would never get a kickout pass. And I, I did see that happen quite often. And in the game, I'm going to run you through the stats of Ron Harper in the game that they lost. So they lost to Chicago 93-83 to on mm-hmm. July 12th. Um, Ron started that game. He played 22 minutes, only shot four times. And he went two for four and one for three from three. Had five points in 22 minutes and three rebounds. That's just the case of him not getting enough shots up. And you're absolutely right. Like Delano Banton. How do you pronounce it? I keep screwing up his Delano, last name. Delano Banton. Banton, okay. Delano Banton putting up 15 shots. He went for six for 15. Right. I, I just That seems like it's a lot for me. And he, only pl- he played four, four more minutes than Ron. And he put up 11 more shots. And it's one, just one thing I'm in, one thing I'm encouraged with Ron is that he started all five games. Yeah, no, he, he started did all, started all five of them. So I'm happy that the Raptors were seeing something good from him, even if he wasn't making the shots he was able to. So, you know, I'm happy, I'm happy to see that, but you know, he'll, I think we'll get better. I think we, we all know this, um, you know, DA, I think one of the biggest things also that I saw was that he wasn't really, um, able to get some shots up in terms of his shot form, like you know, he has a very low release, right? And you know, he was able to get he was able to get by that in college, but I don't know, it might be tough in the NBA with the better athletes because in the NBA, I mean, the best athletes in the world, and I think having that low shot release might be a little tough for him at this level. You know, we'll see if the Raptors fine tune that, and you know, maybe find a way to you know elevate that shot a little bit, but. You know, ultimately, it's a wait-and-see sort of thing. I think he did everything he could in the summer league, but, you know, we'll see. The other thing, too, Jack, I saw that he signed a contract with them. Does that mean he's officially on the roster? I, I wasn't too clear on nah, what that was. So, sign, like, Woj announced he signed a two-way when he went to uh, – after the NBA draft. Right. So that was basically just like officially doing it, like signing the actual contract. I thought he actually signed it after the NBA draft. I like didn't know that they were gonna like officially do it, but like it, it was it was kind of just like the re- the repeat of what you heard after the draft. Oh, okay, okay. So it was I, just I thought I thought the same thing. I was like, okay, did he act? Did he like earn him play himself into an NBA contract? But I figured out it was just like them officially signing the two way. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so it was just a matter of pen to paper and and when that was. Okay, so because I saw that and people were saying, you know, in our group chat, like they were all getting excited that he was on the team, and I was like, wait a minute, I was I was was just confused. Okay, that that makes more sense now. So, but I I think you have a a pretty valid point, Jack, when you talk about his low shot, because again, in college playing against, you know, a second year guy out of Nebraska or you know somebody like that, it's it's not what you're going to get in the NBA. And, you know, the NBA are world-class athletes. They're running up, in the fl- running up and down the floor countless times a night. And they have long arms. Like, the wingspan's ridiculous, right? So that low shot, I, I agree with you, that might be a struggle for him in his NBA start, you know, whenever that is. It, it just it might be a struggle for him long-term and do you think, Jack, he might have to make an adjustment, kind of like what Lonzo did, where coming out of college he would shoot side, like you know, beside the head, and now he's kind of sh- changed that, and he's become a much better shooter. Do you think that's kind of something Ron's going to go through to start his career? He might. 
to be honest with you, like when I watched the summer league, one thing I also noticed is that Ron was a lot smaller out there. Now I know for a fact he didn't shrink. So I know, I know he's definitely playing with taller players out there and then albeit more athletic players. Um, He's more, he more profiles as a shooting guard in the NBA, maybe borderline small forward versus at Rutgers, like Pipel had him playing everywhere from like the two to the five, basically. Right. So I think that's not a reality in the NBA. He's a two, maybe a three. And when you're playing as a two or a three with a low shot form like that, you know, you're opening, opening it up for you to get blocked. And, you know, I, I really think he might have to do that. And, you know, I have faith in the Raptors and being able to do that if they go down that course because the Raptors are a very de- developmental organization. And if there's a team, and I say this repeatedly, at, like I've said this repeatedly after Ron got drafted, like if there's a team that I could have picked before the draft where Ron could have gone, I would have said Toronto as one of like the top one or two teams. And, you know, he's really landed himself in a good spot and, you know, He'll be he'll be in good hands if they have to change over his shot because changing over your shot is not an easy thing to do. No, it, it's not, and it takes time. Jack, real quick before we go to another break before seven o'clock second hour, you said you thought Toronto was one of the landing spots if he were to be drafted during the draft. I, I just have to ask why, uh, what you kind of saw from Toronto as a good landing spot. Well, over the past couple of years, Toronto has a history of developing really you know, under the radar undrafted players and turning them into, you know, quality role players and even all-star level players. I mean, just go back throughout the years, starting in 2016, Fred Van Fleet was an undrafted guy out of Wichita State. He's turned himself into an all-star, won a championship in 2019 um, and turned himself into, you know, or turned his play into a, you know, $85 million contract a couple of years ago. He's obviously one of the lead guys on the Raptors right now. Pascal Siakam, he was a late first round pick, but he was a very raw player coming out of New Mexico State. I think he played, but it was somewhere in New Mexico, but he's turned himself into an all-star level player. He also won a 2019 championship with the Raptors and he's one of their top guys. Um, I think a guy like Chris Boucher, who's still still on the Raptors right now, he's another guy. He was actually a two-way guy with the Raptors, and he's turned himself into a quality role player with the team. So you see this history of developing guys and turning them into quality players, and the Raptors kind of just – Raptors really take that seriously. Um, even Gio said it, Gio Baker. He said after the draft, like when he was at his pre-draft workout um, a year ago, when he was making the rounds, he said that the Raptors are very committed to turning um, players like him or players that are undrafted into quality role players. They take that stuff very seriously. So I think the body of work is there. I think the commitment level is there. The Raptors are a well-run organization. Um, we know the history of winning and a history of, um, you know, like I said, developing players. So that's why I was really excited for Ron when I saw he went to the Raptors. And I'll add this one more nugget before we head to break, DA. Um, when the Raptors won the championship in 2019, um, I'll confirm this over the break, but I believe they won the championship and they're the first team to do this without a lottery pick on their roster. And if you mm-hmm. go up and down the team, it's pretty easy you know, to make that uh, you know assumption that they didn't have um, a lottery pick on their team because Kawhi Leonard was their main guy. He was the 15th pick in the draft. 
guys like Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, Siakam, like I said, Van Vliet, all those guys were drafted out of the lottery. So, you know, that's proof, that's proof in the pudding right there for a team that really likes to, um, you know, utilize under the radar talent. Yeah, some very good points, Jack. You see, this is why it's great having you on the show because I would have never known that and it would have taken me a while to figure out all that just because you're just such an NBA fan, you just know all this stuff. And, you know, it makes sense. They, they develop players. Like, I remember Pascal Siakam was somebody who came into the league and you're just like, who's that? And it's just because Toronto does their homework. They find guys and they produce quality products. When they get them to their to their highest point in their game, they get them to perform, and it's just, you know, it's it's kind of nice to see that Ron is a part of an organization that actually cares about his player development, and maybe he'll make a splash in the NBA soon enough. But that'll wrap up the Ron Harper Jr. Yeah. segment. That'll wrap, or you can put in one more information if you want, Jack. Sorry, I, I just want to confirm, yes, they're the first team ever to win a championship without a single lottery pick on their roster. That's That's true. And that just, you know, and that also just speaks wonders to their coaching staff. Is Nick Nurse still there? I believe so, right? So yeah, Nick it, Nurse is the head coach. Yeah, it just, you know, so credit to him to be able to coach a team without a lottery pick. And I believe, isn't Scotty Barnes now a lottery pick? Isn't he on their roster as we speak? Yeah, know. Scotty Burns, Scotty Barnes was the fourth pick. Yeah. And even with Scotty Barnes, like obviously he was the fourth pick in the draft, but were, was everyone looking at Scotty Barnes and saying, yeah, that's the rookie of the year right there. Like no. he's going to win rookie of the year. And he ended up surprising everyone. Now he's he's this guy that like is being debated as being untouchable, even for a guy like Kevin Durant in a trade. So goes to show you, man. Raptors know what they're doing, and they got Drake. Like you can be boys with Drake. Like, <laughs> come on, Raptors know what they're doing. You can be boys with Drake. Toronto just seems like a lifestyle. That'll do it for hour one of the crew. Up next, we have can we just talk on WRSU FM, New Brunswick. There's nothing like hearing the songs you love on local radio with no subscriptions and no monthly fees. But there's a new bill in Congress that could stop the music. 